Hello and good morning uh, to the New Life community and our, uh, our expanded community, those who are tuning in uh, from wherever you are this morning. Uh, you are the righteousness of God uh, in Christ Jesus. Uh, you are holy ones. You are saints. Um, you are alive during this pandemic, all of this insanity that we're experiencing right now uh, for a purpose. And you're listening to this message for a purpose as well. Uh, I really believe that, uh, that, uh, that it's not a mistake that we're, we're all here together uh, listening in. And so um, I wanted to uh, help us have a, have a uh, kind of guide through a little talk uh, about our security in Christ. And uh, I kind of titled this message, uh, Security in Insecure Times. You know, some people might call it uncertain times. Uh, I like to call it insecure times. Uh, it fits well with the message. And, um, and kind of asking the question, you know, if, if Christ has made me secure, then why am I experiencing so much insecurity? Now, insecurity is an interesting word, right? I mean, uh, we use it a lot. Uh, or you hear people, people use the term insecurity sometimes to, uh, to dismiss somebody. So you might say, well, so-and-so is insecure, uh, and so that would give you license to treat them um, uh, in an unsavory way, or, or maybe in a good way, who knows. But sometimes people will use that term uh, as a negative way to dismiss somebody. Um, but the truth is, is that it, it, no one can have that title, have that designation, uh, apart from anybody else. We all experience insecurity. I mean, first and foremost, this is why we're doing what we're doing right now. I mean, this pandemic, COVID-19, everything that we've experienced at this time has revealed to us that if we have assigned value to certain things in this life, um, we assign the value of security to them, we've, those things have now revealed themselves to actually have been insecure. Maybe something that we shouldn't have assigned value to because it's now been taken away from us so quickly. And whatever we might have thought was secure and always going to be there is now gone. So we all struggle with insecurity at some point in time in our lives. And uh, for one point in time in my life, I struggled with it considerably. And I, I would say uh, that as a teen, it was sort of a catchphrase to use the term insecure. Uh, you, you, you might know that if you're a teen around the same time as me, but... Uh, I, I know for myself that I, I really struggled with that, and I use it as a way to define myself. I would say, you know, I'm feeling very insecure, or I struggle with insecurity. Uh, if, you, if you know a little bit of my story, I came to faith uh, in 1999. Uh, I was at a youth event, at a youth uh, retreat, and I experienced the presence of God in a really remarkable way. And what it did is that it, it, made, me came to, it made me come to a place where I realized I needed to be serious about being a believer. I need to choose to do this. And so I did, but one thing didn't actually change. Uh, one thing was still very present with me. It was a desire to feel wanted. That's a natural desire, but what the flesh was doing, how the flesh behaves is it takes a natural desire, a desire to feel wanted, and twists it. And, and takes you down unhealthy roads to fulfill that desire. And so even though I was a believer, even though I was made secure, I, I was now joined with 
Jesus' spirit, my spirit was joined with his spirit. I was now a new creation. Jesus Christ with my, was my life. I, I have a, a security here now and, and for the future to come. But I was still feeling and experiencing um, insecurity. Now, this was primarily because I assigned the value of security to, um, to being accepted by people. Do you know what I mean by that? Have you ever experienced that? Where, where you were looking to other people's approval or affirmation in order to feel like you were safe, secure, wanted, accepted. I, I'm pretty sure all of us experienced that at some point in time in our lives. But this really came to a head. This really came to a head when uh, I, I went to this youth event. And so there was a group of us all together. It was about a year um, removed uh, from when I came to faith. And basically, it was this event that happened, you know, every Victoria Day weekend, where they just got a bunch of teens together uh, at, a, at a university campus. And they got, like, these really cool bands. Uh, does anyone remember Thousand Foot Crutch? Anybody? Uh, are you embarrassed that you know the name? I think they still make music. But anyway, uh, so Thousand Foot Crutch was there. It was this big deal. And then, and then there was like this really amazing worship, this electric worship, and then an electric speaker on top of that. And then what they did is that they invited all of the teens that were there to come up to the front and get your life right with God again, if, if you needed it. And, and, and when you come up here, we're going to pray for you, and you're going to receive the second blessing. You're going to receive the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I don't want to do is I don't want to sh throw shade on the tradition that I grew up in too much because I believe for a lot of people there that that experience was sincere. But the, what I'm going to describe for you is a, is a, a, a really uh, pivotal, pivotal but generally dark experience for me. So I saw all these students, all these students that I went to church with, and, and I saw them getting up and going down to the front. So here I am, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Okay, if I don't do this, first of all, everyone's going to reject me as being somebody who does not want, you know, to be right with God. Who doesn't want, to, you know, a second blessing or to be on fire uh, for Jesus. So, so I, I thought to myself, okay, I, I got to get up. I got to go down there. But then I also thought, too, well, well God would be disappointed if I don't. So I better make sure I go. So I go up to the front and, and, and what's happening is that there's, there's kids there's teens there being prayed for, and they're falling over. Uh, they're, they're, becoming, they're, they're experiencing the presence of God, and it's making them fall down. And so I, I see that, that these people are at the front, and they're praying for the kids, and they're kind of going through the kids in like waves, and then the kids are like falling over. And then I see like the people coming closer and closer and closer to me, and I see kids falling down, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to fall down. Uh, I better fall down. So they come up to me and, and they pray for me and, and I fall down and it's not sincere. I, I, I just made sure I, I, I looked like everyone else and I was lying on the ground and there may have been kids there who had a sincere experience, but there may have been kids just like me who didn't. And I was lying there and people were getting prayed for and I and heard all this milling around me and and I was just like, this is so ridiculous. Why am I lying on the ground, this dirty ground? Does anyone know I'm doing this? Does anyone care? Then the voice, the voice starts coming to me. You're fake. 
you're a fraud. This whole Christianity thing is just something you're putting on. You're not really accepted by these people. You never will be. You are unwanted. See, I was sincerely seeking Jesus. I, I, I was made secure, right, by Christ. I mean, as a believer, I was, I was seeking him, but I was still getting that gnawing sensation that something was wrong, so, so I got up and I left. Uh, no one followed me out. I went out and, and, I, and I left the, the, the building and I was walking around outside and I was just frustrated and upset. I, I made a call home. I, I cried. I, I went back to my dorm room, went to sleep, um, got up in the morning. No one asked me what happened to me. I, I, I was totally alone in this scenario. When I was preparing this passage and reading through it, you know, um, I, it really brought me back to this memory. So I thought it was only so suitable that I brought the story because in the, in the passage we're going to look at, we see a group of people who came to Jesus. They were seeking Jesus. They were seeking Jesus, but he, he didn't answer the question that they had on, on their minds. He didn't, he, he didn't um, give them exactly what they wanted. Instead, he found the weak spot. He found where their beliefs were incorrect. Jesus found where they were insecure and he and he pushed on that area. Um, he pushed them to consider that they had assigned a value of security to something that they should not. And so even going through this passage, I was reminded that at that time of my life, I was holding on to insecurity. You know, sometimes we talk about insecurity like it's something that restrains you. Like, you know, it's, it's like I'm insecure about this, and so it restrains me from doing what I should, or should do or should not do. But sometimes we can hold on to insecurity and it can be something that defines us. I, I, I will feel safe and secure when I feel wanted by people. But that's an insecure thing. That happens and it doesn't happen. So we're going to look at a passage today um, about a group of people who discovered or heard from Jesus himself that he himself is security. That Christ as life is as secure as you will ever get. And so I want to take a look at John chapter 6, uh, verses 38 to 40. And I want to read it for us this morning. It goes like this. This is John chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 38 to 40. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus talking that I should, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. If you're ever looking for God's will, right? This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, in this passage, Jesus describes how secure somebody who believes in him can be. And maybe that's some of us here where we can, we can accept that just hearing it because we've heard it before. But yeah, maybe you're like, maybe you're someone like me where, where, where the flesh behaves in such a way that you, that you feel insecure. You, you, you have these bouts or these feelings of it. And you need to be reminded today of how secure you are in Christ. So Jesus goes ahead and he responds in this way to this group of people. And we're going to take a look at the contrast of him who is security 
and, and a group of people who are, who are bound in, in their insecurity and really answer that question of how can we experience that security from Christ. But before we do anything else, let's pray uh, and jump into this message together. Uh, so, so Jesus, it's not enough for me now to, to, to share my own story, to try to connect with people, uh, you know, try to be fancy with your word. There's, a, there's, there's nothing there that's of any value except that you are seen and you are heard this morning. So let it be exactly that. Help us to see you. Help us to hear from you. Give us the freedom to trust you uh, as our security this morning. I ask that in your most holy name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're, looking at a, we're looking at a passage in the Gospels. And so I do want to give a little bit of a preamble here uh, about that. Uh, and, and one thing that's always great about going to the Gospels, something that's great to know is that uh, it's important to, to realize that the people who are interacting with Jesus uh, in the Gospels, they are not under the New Covenant. So they're still under the Old Covenant, uh, but they do have something that is similar to us. They, 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 are, they also experience indwelling sin. They have not been made alive in God, but they, are, they do experience it. And so sometimes it's great for us to go to the Gospels because we can get a, a bird's eye view of how the flesh kind of behaves. Uh, but then we also see Jesus's response to that and then his compassion as well. And um, I love this passage so much because, because Jesus is contrasted against the dark. He is the light and he's contrasted against the dark. He is the new covenant present amongst those who are living under the old covenant. And so when you take the light in contrast to the dark, then you can see the light better. And so that's what we're, we're really after uh, today. And when we see Jesus better, we'll have the freedom to trust him more. And that's what I'm really excited about. So um, let's, let's just jump into this passage together. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna read it in full and then I'm going to, going to give some context um, as we're going back and forth through the passage. So please follow with me as best you can. And, um, and, and yeah, like maybe you want to put down your lucky charms. I don't know. But just, let's just try to focus and get through this one, all right? Okay, let's, let's read it together. So let's start with uh, John chapter 6, verse 22. So on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that, saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So I want to pause right there and just talk about uh, these verses we've just read. So, so what we see here, just kind of painting a picture, Jesus is on a roll. Uh, his, his tour is picking up speed. He's, he's, uh, yeah, he, he's healed the official's son. Uh, he's, he's fed the 5,000. And if you ever want to create a crowd, you just feed a lot of people. 
uh, and and not only feed them, but you fill them to the full, right? He like he he fed five thousand people, and and the and the scriptures aren't including the women and children. So it was probably over five thousand people. They were they were probably only counting the men, and so there's he feeds all these people, and Jesus even says it. I love how he says it. You're not following. You're not seeking me because you saw a sign, because you believe on the Messiah. You're seeking me because you had your fill. You ate as much as you could eat. And that's why you have left where you were to come and find me. And, and to give you a picture of it, they had to walk around the lake, or they had to take boats across the, the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake, but they had to take, they had to take a boat, boats across or walk around it to come and find Jesus on the other side of the lake, which was Capernaum. Um, and I love his response. I love his response in that sense, that he acknowledges that there are individuals here that aren't necessarily seeking him. He knows so intently that he's not, they're not actually seeking him because he's the Messiah, but because they had their fill. So let's keep reading. Let's go from uh, chapters, uh, chapter 26 onward. So Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not, this is Jesus still, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you will believe in him whom he has sent. So let's stop there. Let's talk about that for a bit. Jesus understands that, that they're, they're pursuing him for food. And so he addresses that, but then he goes a little bit deeper. He he. He takes the conversation from a, you know, secondary need to be served to the primary need, which was that they had a misunderstanding, they had a misplaced value on, on who they were. And Jesus wanted to redirect it in this moment. So he says, um, do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. And so this gets them asking, right? Well, what must we do then? What are the works of God? And this is a great passage for any of us who are in the New Covenant, uh, under New Covenant teaching. We love this passage. He says, this is the work. He, single, he makes it singular. He says, this is the work, not the works, that you believe in him who he sent. And so he's redirecting what their desire was in that moment. So let's keep on reading. Let's keep going. Jesus answered them, <clears throat> this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we, may, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I, I just think that's so curious too, right? Because, because they're, they're using the scriptures back um, on the word of God himself, the word of God incarnate. They're saying, well, look, it's written. <laughs> um, this, is a, this is a very valuable sign. If you want to prove yourself to be the Messiah, uh, you've got to feed a lot of people because guess what? Moses did that. So if you're greater than Moses, you've got to do it. So let's continue on. Let's continue reading and see what Jesus' response is. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, 
Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, not the answer they wanted, but Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just pausing there for just a quick second. This is the first time in the Gospel of John where Jesus uses an I am statement. Now, there are several other I am statements that are very big uh, uh, to, to pay attention to in the book of John. He says, I am the true vine. He says, I am the light of the world. You know, I am the way and the truth and the life. But here's the first one. So it's significant. I am the bread of life, the one who's been given that you might have eternal life, right? Um, so let's keep reading. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So again, we're reading our, our, our main passage over again there, and I just want to pause here and just really focus on this, because Jesus is making a very, very bold, very, very bold statement. He's saying, this is the will of my Father. And he repeats this twice. He says, he says all that the Father gives to uh, all, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never get rid of them. I will never disown them. They will never be orphans again. I love that. And further on in John, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will never reject you. I, the, all that the Father gives me. Have you ever thought of yourself as being a gift from God to Jesus? <laughs> you ever thought of yourself as being a gift from God to Jesus? Isn't that a crazy idea? That, that's how valuable we are. Our, our, our security isn't based on how val valuable we make ourselves. Our value is based on the value that the Father assigned to us, on the value that the Father assigned to Angela, the value that God assigned to Greg. God assigned value to you and it was demonstrated that he gave you to Jesus as a gift. And Jesus says, all that the Father has given me, I will never cast out. So, you, so here's a picture that we need to understand. That Jesus' Jesus's loyalty to the Father secures you. Not your loyalty to God. Not your loyalty to do everything right. Um, to, to obey the Ten Commandments. Uh, to, uh, to stop eating black licorice. You know, I don't, I don't hold it against you, but still. The, that, that does not affect your security. To, uh, your security is so set in place. It's Jesus' loyalty to the Father that makes you secure. And we're going to explain that a little bit more. So let's keep going. Um, and he says, And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And not only raise it up on the last day, 
But he says, I will give them eternal life. So there's a two-pronged thing going on here, right? We understand that Jesus Christ himself is eternal life. So he will give those who come to him, who believe in him, eternal life. And that's us now, right? I mean, that wasn't even the reality for the people who were hearing in the moment, right? That, that's the experience that we have now. Uh, he's he's, he's, he's uh, taking a step out of time and space to make this comment. We can have an experience, eternal life, in the now. So we're... So we're secure in that sense, but we're also secure in the next sense that he will raise us up. And I just love how in this passage, there's several times where Jesus says, I have come down. I am descending. I am the bread of life who has come down. But what does he say in response to those who believe him? What is his view of those who believe in him? He says, I will raise them up. Isn't that our Lord Jesus so much? That he, he, he cares so much about us that, that he emphatically experienced what it was to be human, that he could raise us up, that we can be with him. So now we experience this eternal life in the now because Jesus Christ is our life, um, the life that we had previously, our, our, our spiritual uh, centers that were disconnected from God, those have passed away. Just like Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And where is Jesus right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right? In the highest place at the right hand of the Father with him. So we are also in right standing with God. With him. High above all principalities and powers, sickness and evil. That's where we are. And so we're incredibly, incredibly secure. Uh, I love how, um, uh, I believe, I say, now I'm forgetting the verse, so maybe I'll take some time and I'll come back to it, but um, I just love that picture anyway, just how we're, we're, we're there with him, we're completely secure in the heavenlies with him, but at the same time, he will raise up in the last day to experience what it is to have a glorified body in heaven. It's secure. All those who call on him, he will never cast out. Have you ever questioned whether or not you'll make it to heaven one day? I'm sure you did. I, I'm reminding, reminding, uh, remembering myself as a teen, you know, at that youth, con that, that youth event and thinking, I, I better go up to the front because I, I certainly want to make it to heaven. I, I'm not sure if I'm secure. But Jesus will never cast you out. The one thing that disconnected you from being connected to God. The one thing that would have that 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 was that was the, the the gaping hole between you and who and and experiencing the presence of God. That one thing was sin, and sin has been conquered. The power of sin has been destroyed. Do we experience indwelling sin? Yes, but does it separate us from God? No. So the one thing that could separate us has been removed, and so we're so united with Him. He's so near to us. We can experience eternal life, but not only that, we can be sure that we will be with him forever in the heavens. Okay, so let's keep on reading. We've still got some ground to cover. So the Jews grumbled about, um, grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up 
on the last day. Okay, so we'll just pause there quickly. So that word draws, I love that word draws because it's, it's used multiple times and even in the book of John, um, in when, when Peter is at the end of the book of John where Peter is you know, hauling in all those fish in John chapter 21, he's hauling in the fish and that word haul is the same, is basically the same word as the word used in this verse called draw. So get this picture. Um, the, uh, unless the father who draws him, unless the father hauls them in, brings them in, they, they, um, they, they can't come to him, they can't come to a place where they believe unless this happens. This demonstrates how much God values us, how he doesn't want anyone to perish, like it says in First Peter. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So he's drawing us in. And so some people could pause on this verse. Right? We can pause in this verse and we can have a conversation about predestination. Don't have that much time for that. But one thing I want to do is that, is that if we just stick on this verse, we're going to have a bit of trouble. So it's always important to see the full context. So we're going to go to the next verse and the next verse explains what's going on here. So let's take a look at that. So the next verse, it says, um, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So those who have heard and learned from the Father, those are the ones that come to me. So some people could just stay on that verse and say, well, okay, well, it's, you know, you know, God picks and chooses. You know, he goes, you know, through a group of people and chooses that person, chooses that person, chooses that person. And that's not the case. Basically, those um those who have heard and learned from the Father, those are the ones who come. So we hear, but then the learning is that renewing of the mind, is that accepting of the truth of what we've heard, and, and that is an example of those who, who believe and, uh, and who have found security with him. Okay, so let's keep reading. Not that anyone has seen the Father except me who is from God. Um, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, for I am the bread of life. And your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. And I am the bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Um... Thanks, Jesus. That really helps. Um, very, very confusing. Uh, how can we eat your flesh? Um, it, you know, I, I mean, even even now as we read it, it seems sort of confusing. But if you look at the grand scope of what Jesus accomplished, we can see that what he's describing here by eating and, and eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, what he's describing is, is the sacrifice that he will do. He will give of his life as the bread of life to give life to those of us who were dead who had no chance, who were only qualified for hell, but also qualified to be rescued. We were qualified to be rescued by him. And so he came to give us life. And so when we believe, we have joined with his life and uh, we experience eternal life in the now, but also we'll be raised with him. And so there's something very unique here in this passage because Jesus, Jesus again, he's still po poking at that wound. Right? And you may still be asking yourself, well, what, what, what is the thing that this crowd of people are insecure about? 
And their insecurity is the fact that they've put so much confidence in Moses and the law and how God demonstrated himself to um, identify with the people of Israel at that time. But Jesus reminds them, if you hold on to that part of your past, you are holding on to something that is insecure. Because here's the truth. Your fathers ate the bread and died. Your, your, your Moses himself ate the bread and died. Matter of fact, most of your fathers died in the wilderness. A whole generation of them passed away in the wilderness because they grumbled. They grumbled in receiving the bread, to receive the bread, matter of fact. So Exodus talks about that. But then Numbers 11 talks about how they even grumbled after the fact because they ate the bread and they were tired of it. This, 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 this generation that just didn't get it. And they were, it wasn't right for them to identify with Moses being above Jesus at this time because Jesus was here and now, the bread of life, the rescuer was here. And instead, they were, they were holding on to something that was insecure when security himself was right in front of them. We have to ask ourselves, if, I am, if I've been made secure in Christ, like we've, we've seen, you know, if, if, my lo- if, if, if my security in Christ is based on Jesus' loyalty to the Father, then why, why, why do I struggle with in, and experience insecurity? Um, here's a track and field anal- analogy. I love track and field analogies. So um, it, when you're running the relay, you're running relay, or you're running track and field at all, the focus is to be putting all of your power and energy into your legs. You come out of the blocks, if you're running 100 meter, or maybe you're run, running 100 meter hurdles. You come out of the blocks and all the focus is on your legs because your legs are powering you to run forward. And you're supposed to be moving your arms, but you're moving your arms so you can keep your balance and and get the most out of your legs, pretty much. And if you're clenching your fists while you're running, you're expending energy. And when you're running, especially in track and field, you're always trying to catch every millisecond to stay ahead of your personal best or stay ahead of the competition. And so if I'm clenching my fists while I'm running, I'm wasting energy. I'm not getting the most out of this experience. Even more so in relay, when, when you have a baton and you're running and you're chasing somebody else, if you're clenching the relay bar, then you're going to be wasting energy. So you have to, you have to hold it sort of lightly, but just enough that it doesn't fly out of your hands and you're just charging forward. Even more so, if I'm clenching onto the baton while I'm handing it to somebody, then I'm wasting milliseconds and having the other person try to take it out of my hands. Or maybe I wouldn't be as fluid in handing it over. So if I'm placing all of my security in how tightly I hold on to that, that baton and I'm running the relay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not having the full experience. I'm, I'm not going to have the experience that I want. And I might even let my team down. Matter of fact, on some track teams, if, you, if your personal best is less, then they may have to remove you uh, from the team and get somebody else who can do that part of the race faster. Now, this is not a reflection necessarily in full of our relationship with Christ because we know that we're secure in him and he'll never cast us out. But we can rob ourselves of the experience of the security we have in Christ because we're holding on to. Maybe we're identifying with something that we're insecure about and we shouldn't be doing. Maybe we should be releasing what we're insecure about. Maybe we need to be honest with the Father about what we are insecure about so that we could take hold of the beauty of what we've experienced now with eternal life in each and every one of us. So 
I've read the passage. We talked about it. You're thinking to yourself, what does all this mean? Uh, thanks for the analogies. Um, Rob, what else do you have to teach us about this today? And, and, I, and I really want to say this, and I want us to get to uh, this part in our passage here. I want us to talk... Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm using this iPad here, and I just lost the page, and I do not know how to get it back. Do you think you can help me quickly? So everybody, Mr. Mr. Ross here is going to help me. He's going to rescue me in this moment. Excellent. Thank you so much. This message has been brought to you um, by Heroic Feats of Heroism and the Apple iPad. Okay. Uh, I, want, I want to read a, a, some, some passages to you that I, I feel are just going to kind of wrap up this conversation because there's something here that we, that we do need to understand. And we need to understand, again, to what extent do we have been made secure. Um, and if we... If we are making ourselves secure on our own terms and not on God's terms, well, then we will never fully experience the security that we have in him. And so let's take a look quickly at what we've learned through this passage about how we've been made secure. And so we're going to look at that just, just quickly now. We're going to pull up on the screen for you. So, here, so here's kind of the outline, right? Father sends, this is how it starts, Father sends the bread of life, eternal life, Jesus right? Father sends them. Then Father draws people to eternal life. Not all of them hear and learn, but he draws a large group. He, he hauls in a big group to hear and to learn. Those who hear and learn from the Father come to believe in Jesus, right? So those who hear and learn, they come to this faith, they come into this understanding. All right, let's go to the next one. So what we also understand from this passage is that believing is accepting that Jesus must die, right? We accept that he must die and that we must also partake in his death. So not only did he come and, we, and die and we must eat, you know, as, as his description that he gave, we must eat of his, uh, his flesh and drink his blood. Um, uh, when we do that, we are partaking in also his death. And that is also what happened on the cross. We were crucified with him. And so those people who, who experience that, they believe that, they receive eternal life now. And those people will never, never be lost by Jesus. We never have to question whether or not our salvation is secure. It, it's secure. He said, Jesus says, I will never cast out those whom the Father has given me. And those people will be raised up on the last day. So those two things can give us the opportunity to know and to see that we are secure. And even in that, even in that, in that vein, you know, Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 7 to 11 says this, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So we must also consider ourselves dead to sin, but now alive with Christ forevermore which is a beautiful, beautiful picture for us to receive. That there's nothing, again, that can separate us from him. The one thing that, that could have done it has been removed. Um, I love how Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 17, this is a verse I forgot from earlier, and I'm remembering it now, well, now that I'm seeing it. 
that that it says that how much more we have now been saved not only by uh, his death by the removal of sin but how much more have we been saved now by his life that we have received his life from us that that Jesus is our life and so since he is our life and he doesn't struggle with insecurity is nothing to be insecure about we have now been made secure because he is our life how much more and that word saved how much more we've been saved by his life that that word saved is, is, a, is a present understanding of of a wholeness like how much more in this present life that we're experiencing now will we experience peace when we need it will we experience joy when we're longing for joy will we experience um patience when we're longing for for to to have patience in our own ability we can experience it from him instead uh he's an he's an inexhaustible resource of life for each and every one of us we are completely secure will we face situations that lend us to insecurity absolutely but the eternal life that we have, the favor and the love of the Father towards us that we currently have, that's not going anywhere. There's nothing that we can do to remove it. And so that's what leads me now to Romans chapter 8. And you knew I was coming to this, right? Because we're talking about being separated from God. So we're talking about Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. I'm going to read this as we prepare to close. So what shall we say about wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since then he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself, God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. And I want to stop there just a quick second and just say, Look at the vision that he's, look at the, the image that he's giving. I am seated with God at his right hand, pleading for you. Other, other versions say he's interceding for you. you. You are enduring an uncomfortable time. You're, you're making it through a time of uncertainty where you're thinking, will I have my job when I get back? Um, how am I performing as a father? How am I performing as a wife? How am I performing as a daughter um, or, or a son? How... Um, how, how, will I, how will everything look when, it gets, when, when, when we're released from this pandemic and self-isolation? What will it be like? We're, we're, we're struggling with all these things, but guess what? You are a gift to Jesus. And Jesus is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. So can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we, are, if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are going through a pandemic or dealing with COVID-19 or in quarantine? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is yours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons or black licorice or any of those things that are listed there in that verse. Okay? No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ our Lord. This is what has been secured for us, that he is, his intention, uh, his desire for us is so near. So we, again, we have to ask that question. If I have been made secure, if all, everything that Robin has just said is actually true, about how much you care about me, then why do I still struggle with these feelings of insecurity? 
So I, I, in some ways, I can only answer it in two ways. I could just say quickly, maybe in some ways, and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with any of us, obviously, because the, the flesh wants to deceive us to taking hold of things that are insecure rather than holding on to what we've already achieved and already have in Christ, which is secure. But maybe we've been deceived into holding on to something that is insecure rather than taking hold of him who is secure, who is our security. But in another question too, and I think this is a really important question to ask as we wrap up, maybe you haven't taken the time to really let Father tell you how valuable you are. Because he has assigned a value to you and he's chosen to never let go of you. Of course, we had free will. But like we heard, those who've heard and learned, they come to Jesus and Jesus will never cast them out. So you have insane value. You are insanely valued. And maybe you need to be reminded of how valuable you are. Sometimes the most simple thing that we can do, the most heartfelt, inner child longing kind of question that we can ask is, Daddy, can you please show me today how valuable I am to you? Show me. I want to know. Can you show me today? What father? <laughs> what father would, de would deny their children that? Some of us earthly fathers, pretty good guys. I'm sure we could step up to the plate. Maybe even some earthly fathers who aren't even in Christ can step up to the plate and let their child know how valuable they are. But how much more our Heavenly Father is willing to do that for you? You might be experiencing insecure times and maybe feeling like you're not secure and you need to be reminded today of how valuable you are. So I would encourage us, if that's the case, that we take that opportunity to rest in, to pause, to remove ourselves, maybe from the noise or the clamor of what's going on in our homes right now, and press into him and ask that question. Daddy, can you show me how valuable I am? And I have no doubt that he will answer that call. Because... That's how secure you are. You have an insane value to the Father. You, you were worth the life of his son. You were worth it. And so, it is not for any mistake that you are experiencing what you're experiencing right now. Let it be instead an opportunity for you to go to him and be reminded of your value. Thank you so much uh, this morning for paying attention, for, for, for following along, uh, for enduring some technical difficulties. Um, I love you, but the Father and, and Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit, they love you all the much more. So let's press in and find that out today. Have a great morning.